0: Hi again, everybody. I'm Dan Horde, and thanks for downloading the Bengals Booth Podcast. The, what do you want me to do? Make all the big decisions for you. Addition, as my broadcast partner Dave Lapham joins me to discuss the draft, free agency, NFL teams, and salary cap hell, the possibility of a Bengals ring of honor at Paul Brown Stadium, and much, much more. The Bengals Booth Podcast is presented by Bud Light Seltzer. Refresh the game. And here's a quick reminder that you can have the latest edition of this podcast delivered right to your phone, tablet, or computer by subscribing on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, or Podbean. It's the greatest thing since Starting the Seniors. This week was the final week of the regular season for many college basketball teams, meaning it was senior day all over the country, the final home game of the year where teams honor their seniors. Many coaches take it a step further by starting all of their seniors, including the walk-ons. Florida State did that this week, and the walk-ons included Jason Lindner, whose dad was one of my high school teammates. Jason scored an early basket in a lopsided Seminoles win. Of course, when you start the reserves, you run the risk of getting off to a slow start, and that happened to UC last weekend when Coach Brandon started two walk-ons against Memphis, quickly fell behind 6-0 and wound up losing by six points. But in my opinion, it was still the right thing to do. Walk-ons bust their tail at practice and help teams get better despite rarely getting the opportunity to play. For me, Starting the seniors at their final home game, despite their skill level, is one of the great traditions in college basketball. Now, let's get to football. Much like the bat signal, I shined the lap signal into the nighttime sky this week. In other words, I asked if you had any questions for Dave Lapham on Twitter, and you had a bunch, mostly about the draft and free agency. But I started our conversation with the topic of NFL quarterbacks asserting their power lap let's start with some recent nfl developments deshaun watson once out in houston russell wilson hasn't gone quite that far but he has named the four teams he would be willing to go to if seattle wanted to make a deal the Cowboys, saints bears and raiders here's my question is this the start of a movement where superstar quarterbacks call the shots
1: yeah, it's pretty amazing, Dan. I mean, it's, it's like when I when I start hearing what's going on and seeing what's going on, it's like, man, back in the day, guys wouldn't even ever thought about that. But it's it's all about money and money's power. And I mean, back uh back, you know, when I was playing, coaches made more money than players. Today, not really the case. You know, I mean, the players are making a ton of money and uh and quarterbacks in particular, so it's, it's almost like so foreign to me when I hear guys saying, oh, he should have a, a say in who they hire and, and how they put things together. I mean, I, not the game plan. Yeah, I understand that. But I mean, you want to be a GM and a quarterback? You want to be a director of football operations and a quarterback? Uh, I don't know. It's 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 almost uh, gotten to the point where, you know, uh, there's a power shift going on. I just wonder how far that power shift will go. Um, And it's becoming more and more like, you know, the NBA. I mean, the NBA players can dictate, I want this guy, I want that guy to come with me and uh, we'll we'll make a big three and we're going to try to win a world championship. And the quarterback's obviously the most important position in, uh, in football and maybe the most important position overall in all of team sports. So they've got the power and they're being compensated that way now. So it's not a surprise, I guess.
0: Do you expect Watson to get traded, Wilson to get traded, both or neither?
1: I don't think Wilson will get traded this year, um, but, you know, obviously if there's enough, if there's enough noise being made um, and, and, all, and, obviously it depends on what happens this year, depends on what kind of uh, changes are made within the Seattle organization that might pacify Wilson Um, obviously he's tired of getting hit he's been sacked a bunch I mean he's like he gets hit and sacked more than any quarterback in the league over the last nine years it's crazy you don't realize it you know a lot of it is he holds on to the football and tries to create and extend and and he'll make great plays doing that but he's also going to take some licks and when you're out there on your own doing that kind of thing as an offensive lineman I'm your 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 instruction on a if it's a pocket pass in particular you know you're instructed to Perform this technique and these mechanics to protect the quarterback in that spot. And if he's elsewhere, he's kind of on his own, and it kind of destroys all of that. So, you know, there's how much of that is a, is a factor in in all the all the punishment that he's taken. So, um, I mean, maybe he wants to change the schematic of the offense as well as control personnel. I mean, he wants to be offensive coordinator, director of football operations, head scout. He wants to. <laughs> everything I guess so to me you know it's if if you can't everything's built on relationships and trust in really life never mind sports but sports if you can't trust your organization is going to do everything they possibly can to to you know put you in position to win maybe you don't maybe you try to find a way to get away from that organization and I guess that's what it's boiling down to guys just don't have the faith and the trust in their organizations that they're going to do, you know, what they need to do. Um, They're certainly paying them. (laughs) I mean, they're saying, no, we value you and here's how we value you. When you go to the bank, you're going to see how we value you. But, you know, in, in these players opinions, there's more to it than that. And that's what, that's what everybody's, you know, really concerned with, I guess at this point in time, they want, they want everything to be perfect. That's for sure. Everybody's striving to be in the perfect uh, perfect spot, perfect situation to maximize their effort uh, as much as possible because it's a short career. It can be a very short career.
0: And that gets interesting where Joe Burrow is concerned because even before he was drafted, people speculated how happy he was going to be in Cincinnati. And I used to scoff at people who worried about Joe signing a second contract with the Bengals before he had even played in a single game in a Bengals uniform. And I'm still not overly concerned about those kinds of things, but I guess you do have to show a player of his skill level and uh, potential stardom that you are doing everything you can to win.
1: Yeah, I think so. You know, and, and, and really, um, you know, what they're talking about now, the jets trying to decide, you know, do we, do we stay with our guy that we picked third, you know, in the draft when he came out of USC or, Do we go for one of these, you know, young quarterbacks, um, Wilson, whoever it is uh, at at number two this year and start the clock again on that multiple year rookie contract where we can build our organization up and have a window um, to try to go and win big. You know, it's, it's almost like a double-edged sword though, because, you know, a lot of times, I mean, some, some quarterbacks, a lot of them fail. Let's face it. I mean, over 50% of the first round quarterbacks, fail Uh, they don't they don't end up having the career that that you would expect even even the first pick of the draft i mean there's there's no guarantee over 50 percent of them don't even sign a second contract with the team drafting them these high first round draft picks uh you know it's that's just the the way it is in the national football league it's a total crapshoot if we're a pure science the draft wouldn't be as interesting as it is because it's a total crapshoot there's no no two ways about it but um when, when you when, If you're going to try to go for the gusto with a young quarterback, man, years one, two, and three may not be the premier years for the guy. It may take him a little bit of time to adjust if he does adjust at all. So uh, you're, you're looking for the perfect storm. You're looking to draft a guy that you've got. You're totally convinced that this is a guy that I can plug and play and he's going to be able to uh, win for us if we have the right people around him and then have the money because of his low contract, uh, inexpensive contract to go and surround himself with all these weapons to go ahead and win. That's the perfect storm. I mean, that that just, uh, you know, Vegas will take odds on that every single day. Um, but, you know, you, you look at a guy like Joe Burrow, I think Joe Burrow, when you look at all the components, not just the physical aspect of it, the, the mental aspect, the intangibles, all the things that go with it. He is a guy, I think, that if you can surround him with some good components, I think he can win for you pretty damn early. I mean, I think he's that type of player. I think he's that, that, that type of football intellect, you know, that type of uh, intangibles. I really do. I think he's one of those guys that you can, you can put some money on in that regard.
0: So yesterday, Ben Roethlisberger agreed to a new contract with the Steelers to save them some salary cap space in terms of their ability right now, not, Two or three years from now, four or five years from now, how do you rank the quarterbacks in the AFC North? Lamar Jackson, Baker Mayfield, Joe Burrow, Ben Roethlisberger.
1: Yeah, it's 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 an interesting mix because Lamar Jackson is so different with his skill set. You know, it's hard to it's hard to rate him. You know, he's he's like here's the tr- here's the traditional quarterback, and there's and then here's these hybrids. You know, these these different kind of quarterbacks. And he is, let, let's put it this way, from a football player standpoint, scares you to death. You know, he's, he's one of those kind of guys that athletically, he is so off the charts, it's, it's unbelievable. Um, Baker Mayfield, I think, you know, once he got the right head coach and offensive system, I think he's shown that he can do the things that he did, you know, at Oklahoma, maybe not to the level at Oklahoma because the competition level is so much uh, more difficult to compete against. But you know I, I think he's I think he is on the rise. I think he's an ascending player I don't think he's a, a player that's hit his plateau or is, is on the on the decline. I think Ben obviously is on the physical decline there's there's no question about it um, but he's Ben's the uber competitor there's no doubt about that and all the all the naysayers that uh, that he's hearing in this offseason, I think the guy is going to be big time motivated but honestly Dan I think Pouncey retires, the offensive line's kind of in shambles, Foster retired, Pouncey retired. They're, they're just they're just not what they were. I mean, when's the last time we saw the Pittsburgh Steelers unable to run the football to the extent they, they were unable to run it last year? Unbelievable. And if they don't get those things fixed, you know, I think Ben's at a stage in his career where he can't just put the whole team on his shoulders like he's done in the past and say, I'm going to take you to the promised land. So they're going to be interesting. I think it's, you know, I think it's a time where you can maybe ease your way past Pittsburgh in terms of what's going on with that organization a little bit. But I put, you know, I put Joe right up there with the other three, the the three quarterbacks, the three younger quarterbacks in the division have all won the Heisman. They've won it uh, in different ways for different reasons, but they're all, you know, very capable of uh, transposing those, talents that they had in college in the NFL if they have the right people um, in terms of coaching and scheme and all that sort of thing so I would rate I would rate they're so young and again Jackson he's so hard to, to pigeonhole in terms of the traditional quarterback grade but he scares me to death he probably scares me as much or more than any of them and obviously the way he's played against the Bengals I mean he's got the Bengals number right now they haven't come close to Finding a way to solve them really. Um, the one time he played when he was a little bit nicked up, uh, it, was, it was a little bit different dynamic. But when he's 100% physically capable of of running around like he does, like a human joystick, he's he's ridiculous. But I I honestly, as a player, as a former player, I kind of like Joe Burrow as a as a total entity at the quarterback position more than Baker. Uh, because I, I think Joe's—I don't think Joe's as mercurial or as you know up and down personality standpoint. I think he's more steady, uh, you know, a guy that uh, that I think you can count on to not lose his mind in, in crucial situations and things like that. So I think his makeup gives me a, a tiebreaker vote over over Baker Mayfield. I like Baker Mayfield's skill set, but I think he's a sometimes a little bit of a wild card, you know, and I I don't see any of that kind of thing in Joe Burrow.
0: Long-term I'd take Burrow over any of them right now, hard to go against Lamar Jackson. I mean, right now for his uh, ability and and the way the Ravens are using him, I guess because of the injury, I'd have to go Baker two, Burrow three right now, but it's amazing that I put Ben fourth. He's the one that's going to the hall of fame. He's the one that's got a couple of Super Bowl titles. He's the one that led the Steelers last year to the greatest start in franchise history, and they won the division. And yet, I I think the two of us and a lot of people out there are kind of looking at the Steelers as the team that's dropping when they were the team that was the best in the division last year, at least until the playoffs rolled around.
1: It is crazy. And, you know, people, you'll hear people say a lot that sometimes the end comes, you fall off a cliff. Sometimes the end comes, it's a more gradual decline. But one thing that uh, everybody knows, other than Tom Brady, Father times undefeated, you know, and, and Father Time looks like he's catching up to Ben a little bit. Uh, like I said, with Tom Brady, he's, that guy's the biggest freakazoid ever. I mean, he's a, uh, he's a trend breaker in every sense of the word.
0: So the roster cuts have started around the NFL. There will be many more to come. The Vikings cut Kyle Rudolph this week after 10 great years at, at tight end. Giants have cut golden Tate. Tyler, I got let go by the Jaguars. Sounds like the Raiders are going to cut offensive lineman, Gabe Jackson. But like I said, there will be many others. Let's start with Kyle Rudolph since there's the local tie. Any interest in Kyle Rudolph?
1: You know, I, I it would have to be at, at uh, what price I think, you know, with 10 years, 10 years in the league, um, obviously is he what he was, you know, four years ago, three years ago, whatever, obviously it was a salary cap casualty, but you're right, Dan. I mean, the interesting thing is there's going to be a lot of situations where guys are out there. Like I never expected that. Well, for a lot of reasons, it's going to be the way it is. Instead of 198 million, the cap's going to be 180 or 185. And you have teams, half a dozen teams that are in salary cap jail right now. And, Now, when the salary cap comes out at a lot less, there's going to be maybe eight teams that will be in salary cap jail, and they're going to have to start – it's going to be a bloodbath. They're going to have to start whacking people, slicing and dicing. So there's going to be veteran players out there that you're going to be able to get at a discounted price. And there's going to be, out of the 32 teams, maybe as many as eight that can't even bid. So you're down to 24 bidders instead of 32. So now it's like, man, you've bettered your odds by 25% of being able to land a tier one or a tier two guy. This year, I think tier one and tier two, they're both going to be a little bit higher. You know, some of the high tier twos would be tier one guys in in other years. But because of the salary cap situation, the salary cap trouble, a lot of teams find themselves in, you're going to have really good players that are making a ton of money that'll be out there that won't be making that money anymore. And can you, can you land? some of them it's going to be interesting to see exactly who's out there and uh in in the Bengals having the sixth most money to spend in the league uh tells you that you know hopefully they'll be able to land a good tier one player maybe a couple of tier two guys uh potentially so I I think that they may find themselves in a in a pretty good situation and you look at last year's draft rated the best in terms of what they got from production standpoint out of the seven draft picks they they obtained. They got them all high every round. Obviously, it was a. You would hope that they put the bat on the ball on almost every draft pick, and they did. So they have that to build on. And year one to year two is usually the biggest improvement in terms of the light going on and, and your development. I can attest to that. I, I remember it being that way. It's like, oh yeah, the game the game's a lot different in year two here than it was my rookie year. So you have you have that, and you know, one some one two and year first second and third year players for the Bengals they have another good draft I mean they could they could find themselves in a pretty good spot if they can pick up a, a couple of uh tier two and one of those tier one free agents to to go in that mix it's going to be interesting see what you get there in free agency then attack it in the draft and they have money to spend in free agency they have the fifth pick in the, in every round in the draft I mean they should be able to do some damage here in this offseason Dan for sure
0: You can make the case that with the salary cap going down, there has never been a better year to be where the Bengals are in the top six in cap room right now.
1: I agree. There's no question about it. I mean, you know, when you can, you don't you don't want to say, oh yeah, there'll be another uh, world pandemic, you know, like we just experienced in 2020. I mean, the the odds of, uh, of, of taking place, what took place, And, you know, disturbing and disrupting every single professional sport and then disrupting their revenue in every single professional sport. You're right. I mean, the Bengals have found themselves in in a pretty good situation. The fact that they are very salary cap savvy, you know, and some people criticize the way they handle the cap. But around the league, you know, when you talk to people around the league, Dan, and we both have, Katie Blackburn gets very high grades for her acumen in terms of handling cap. You know, a lot of people are like, wow, she, she knows what she's doing and she has put them in a pretty good position, you know, to, to take advantage of it. And, and now it's uh, <laughs> instead of your normal free agency, it's going to be a, a gold standard free agency. It's going to be a spit shine free agency. There's going to be a lot of talent out there you would have never ever thought might be available. You're going to be able to take a shot at.
0: And the Bengals are creating more cap space. As we speak on Friday, they cut offensive lineman BJ Finney that saves 3.25 million against the cap. Here are some of the other guys that are rumored to possibly uh, be in danger of being cut for cap space. Geno Atkins is obviously the biggest one that would save 9.5 million. Bobby Hart would save 5.9 million CJ Uzama a possibility. Could save five million. Giovanni Bernard, a possibility. Could save four point one million. Xavier Suafilo's name has been mentioned. Two point four million. Which of those guys do you think is most likely to be let go?
1: I think that uh, you know, obviously AJ won't be coming back, but there's no cap, you no know, no cap ramification, you know, there as far as that contract is concerned. But I I would probably think Geno Adkins is uh, is the that that's that's one where. You know the most savings can be can be made, and and you would think, um, just like a lot of teams around the league, some of these players that are being cut, you know, teams are going to let these players go as salary cap casualties and say, wink, wink, look, we're not we're not waving you because we don't want you anymore. We don't think you're capable of playing uh, good enough football for us and being a factor, but we we can't afford you in this situation. Period. So, we may be getting back to you. And you know, Bengals may say that kind of thing to Geno, depending on who has an interest out there um, in terms of uh, other teams. But yeah, I mean, I think I think he will be—he's—he's he's where they can make the most savings, and that seems to be where I think the uh, the salary cap axe is going to fall first.
0: I mean, if you let Geno and Bobby Hart go, just those yep. two, you yep. can bring Carl Lawson back.
1: Absolutely, I and mean,
0: you could use that to franchise tag Carl Lawson if you wanted to.
1: Absolutely. And then and you wouldn't have even dipped into the uh the money that you're looking to go out and get other free agents. Yeah, if you just do some uh some some uh house cleaning within your own organization, who are you trying to resign? Who can you let go to try to get that that whole thing you know uh, structured properly, just some internal shifting before you even go out there and, and address uh outside free agents? Yeah, you're right. I mean, they could really, I mean, it, it would be I don't know. I'm trying to think of a Hollywood star that had a facelift that looked so dramatically different after had the facelift done, but it could be one of the most unbelievable facelifts ever in the history of mankind. Uh, the, the Bengals could pull off this year and in and changing the entire look of their franchise. You really could.
0: I could name some that went badly. I won't. <laughs> I <hear. laughs> But there have definitely been some that didn't work out so well. I want to change the subject. Briefly, and then we'll get back to the draft and free agency because we have a lot of questions about that that were submitted by fans uh, with the hashtag ask lap on Twitter. Uh, But here's the question I want to get to before that recently we saw photographs and video where it appeared the Bengals were looking at different letter sizes and colors for a possible ring of honor at Paul Brown Stadium. There has been no official announcement yet, but it certainly looks like they are seriously considering it. What did you think when you heard that and saw that?
1: Yeah, I, I think that there'd be, uh, I guess everybody's reaction would be it's about time. You know, I mean, I, I think it is definitely, definitely time for for something like that. Um, I can understand, you know, Mike, Mike Brown in conversations over the years that I've had with Mike Brown, honestly, his his big thing is, he really does not want to single players out. You know, it's like he, he has an appreciation for what so many players have done for him over the years from a contribution, you know, to the franchise standpoint that he just feels like singling them out. And people are going to say, ah, that's just an excuse. He doesn't want to spend the money, take the time, you know, whatever the reasons. But, you know, I, I honestly believe that's, that's kind of knowing Mike, you know, for a few years now, I think, really believe that that's, that's his, his mindset. Um, So I'm not sure that the the Katie and Troy and Elizabeth and everybody else has the same shares the same opinion, but uh, I I do know that over the years Mike has felt that way. So uh, if Elizabeth and and Katie and if they can sell it to Mike and 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 get it done I I'd welcome it with uh, with open arms I mean I think you know you think about guys like Ken Riley. Would have been great if Ken Riley could have been in that Ring of Honor before he passed away. Now it's going to have to be posthumously. So, you know, it's that that's you know, you those those kind of things start coming to mind right away. But um, yeah, I I just think that that there's nothing wrong with uh, showing an appreciation for the history of the franchise, giving the the fan base a rallying point. um, I, I I see positives in all of that.
0: My impression from interacting with Mike over the years on this subject was that his feeling was football is the ultimate team game. Uh, The right guard has just as much of an impact on your success as the star player whose name would go up on the ring of honor. But what I think might get uh, mistaken in Mike's uh, thought process on that is that the right guard would appreciate seeing the quarterback's name go up there. Even if, you know, that, that player had just a bigger, as bigger a role on leading the team to a great season.
1: I agree with you, Dan. I mean, it was, you know, when, when Kenny Anderson won a passing title, I know that uh, as a lineman, I lived vicariously through the success of Kenny Anderson I feel like, Oh man, you know, I had a little bit of a part in him having that tremendous success. It, he did His his abilities. He executed it, but you know, everybody had to do their job in order for Kenny Anderson to do his job to the level that he did his job to win a passing title. And he won four of them. He won four passing titles. And as, as a lineman, you know, that was involved with that, you know, you think I did, I did, must've done something right. Some of the time, you know, and you do, you start to, you start to live vicariously through the success of others. And that's what teamwork is really, you know, everybody feeds off each other and you uh, you know, somebody, Somebody's always going to get more credit than others. That's just that's just the nature of the beast. But um, you know, there everybody. If if you're not doing your job, you're going to make it more difficult for everybody else to achieve the success that they could have. So everybody's important, and I you know, and I I agree with you. I do think that that's Mike's mindset. That that's his philosophy. He doesn't really want to single people out because you know you, get, you have eleven moving parts on offense and defense. You have a lot of things going on out there in the football field on on an every snap basis. There's no doubt.
0: All right. Let's get to ask lap questions. We've got a bunch. We've got some good ones. Many of them dealing with the draft and free agency, as you would expect. Let's start with Vincent. Here is his question. in ask lap. What would you address in the draft on defense? Something specific or best player available?
1: Well, I mean, to me, I I guess you'd hope that, (laughs) that they would be one in the same, that the best player available would, would address a need. And I I'm one that would go if, if it's, if it's one of my top needs, if it's a top two or three need overall um, I'd go with the, the player that fits that the best Um, Mm -hmm. I I would not, I would not reach to address the need. In other words, I would take the, the best player that I have a, a need like i'm not going to take a quarterback if the best player available on the board's court i'm not taking a quarterback obviously we just took one the number one pick last year so you know you just don't go with best player available uh, unilaterally ac- across the board but if the best player available is, is an offensive tackle i go there best player available is a is a defensive a, a pass rusher that would scare people you know i go there um so I think that uh, it, it, in my mind it would be a combination, um, and and then I, I proceed from there. I guess the other thing that you that I would do, if I was ever running a draft, is you know try to try to find the best way that you possibly can because you never know how the order is going to go. That's why the sooner in the draft you pick, the less variables you have, so you know what kind of player pool there's going to be. But even projecting down to the second round or the third round, even if you have one of the higher picks, you don't exactly know who's going to go where and when uh, and what trades are going to happen and all those sort of things in the first round. But the best of my ability though, I would say, all right, well, the strength of the draft are these positions, these teams are going to make a run. Just try to piece the puzzle together and say, all right, well, the best player available, uh, there might be at that position, there may be a guy in the second round that's pretty close, but the best player available at this position is so far ahead of the next guy that might be available in the second or third round. That's my tiebreaker. You know, I, 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 I take the big, big picture view of it as well. I just wouldn't put, you know, pigeonhole and, and focus on, on just that one pick. You know, I, I want to try to, you know, strike uh, as, as consistently as I can on a round by round basis of the best player available fitting needs, you know, uh, to, to, to as, a larger degree if I possibly could.
0: And when it comes to defense where the draft is concerned, I think you can probably eliminate a couple of spots with a high pick. You don't need a safety, at least high. I wouldn't be shocked if you take one at some point, if you really like one, Uh, but you don't, you don't have to worry about uh, Bates and Bell in the short term, probably don't need a linebacker high. Uh, with the three that you drafted last year, although, again, at some point, I wouldn't be shocked to see them take another. So it, as opposed to drafting for need, it's almost eliminating the areas where you're already strong.
1: Right. Like, you know, um, I wouldn't necessarily put running back up there. As, you know, quarterback, obviously, running back on the offensive side of the defense, like you said, safety, and um, particularly inside backer. Outside backer, if he's a, if he's that dominant rush guy, though, if he's that edge guy, you know, now you get that hybrid. Is he, is it a defensive end? Is it an outside linebacker? What is it? All I know is whew, he gets after the quarterback. Um, you know, I, I may go after that guy. Uh, so yeah, it's. I agree, Dan. I'm I'm in, I'm in the same thought process.
0: Next question comes from Sam. If the offensive line improved substantially in free agency, do the Bengals still take Panay Sewell if available, or opt for a wide receiver, or tight end Kyle Pitts
1: yeah or um, and and the thing is unfortunately this year from an edge rush standpoint there's no Miles Garrett there's no Chase Young there's nobody like that so you know the defensive, the edge rush guy I think the Bengals are going to be able to get a good edge rush guy in the second round I think uh, University of Miami has two University of Pittsburgh has two I mean there's some edge rush guys so they're all not going to go in the first round. I think somebody may be there in the early stages of that, uh, of that second round. Um, yeah, but it, that's exactly right. If you, if you go out and you get a tier one offensive tackle and a tier two guard um, now, all of a sudden in the draft, you, does, does that change your focus? Does that change your thought process? It could, depending on who you get. And uh, it, it, you know, if it's a, that, it, it absolutely could. All I know is, from the offensive line standpoint, having played the position, when we had our best offensive lines in the '80s, Anthony Munoz was the eraser at left tackle. Neel can be an eraser at left tackle, from what I've seen, and we had a butt kicking guard in Max Montoya, who would just as soon beat the heck out of you then look at you. Um, and and I think that you know they could go out and get if you could get somebody. One of those guards, you know, uh, in, in free agency, you get uh, Tooney or Scherf in free agency, and and get if not Sewell, if you don't get a, a tackled in free agency, and you could get Sewell, if you could have those two areas filled in, um, I I just know that, that that works. I've seen that work. You know, with Anthony Munoz, we said we don't have to slide. All we, let's everybody else take care of people in here. He's got him. He's the eraser. He's taking care of that guy. Those, those kind of players or generational players are like a once, you know, just a dream come true for, for any offensive line coach. And that's why I, I value Sewell. Um, and, but, but again, if, if, if they sign the best tackle in free agency and Sewell could go, Sewell could go before number five anyway, in my opinion, it could happen. Heck, uh, I saw Todd McShay's latest mock draft. He's got four quarterbacks going. The first four picks of the draft by a trade with trading all those other things. Uh, it, but if Sewell is gone, I, I wouldn't have a problem then going. You know, going with the best wide receiver. I wouldn't have a problem doing that. Um, the tight end. I know. I know everybody loves this tight end, and and I can I can understand why because he is a mismatched nightmare man the guy's 6'5, 250, and runs in the high four fours. That's what they th- think he's gonna run. But I I'm not even I'm not even sure he's an adequate blocker. Watching him, he's he's willing, but not capable. I don't I'm, he's I mean, they they play him, they put him out there as a wide receiver, they play him in the slot. He's a big mismatch problem. That's what he is, throwing the football. And there's no doubt that uh that, that he's a talented player absolutely no question about it i mean the guy's a freak and you would but basically in football you're you're trying to uh you're, you're trying to create and then have the defense counter your creation and this guy would would be a point of emphasis in, in that regard you'd have to respond to what the offense the offense is dictating. and the defense is trying the defense is trying to counter when you have a guy like this this tight end Pitts, there's no doubt uh, but I I'd still, I mean, if we're going to do something to receiver, I'd go chase the dude had 1800 yards and 20 touchdowns Who's throwing him in the football, Joe Burrow. I mean, I think he's the best receiver watching him. damn he's strong. He throws people around releasing off the line of scrimmage. You know, he's not, he's not the most physically imposing. He's not the fastest of all the receivers, but what he is is a damn good football player. So Yeah, I mean, if I if I get my offensive line taken care of in the draft, I wouldn't have any trouble saying let's evaluate weapons for Joe Burrow on the, uh, you know, at the quarterback position. I don't think there's an edge rusher that I would take it uh, at five necessarily. Um, So I I wouldn't have a a problem doing that.
0: Question from Alan. Is Zach Taylor on the hot seat if he wins fewer than eight games this year? that's
1: a good question. I'm sure he's on his own hot seat. You know, I you'd like to see uh, you'd like to see the doubling doubling down continue. One, two in the first year, double the win total of four. You want to at least double it in year three to eight. So you're you know you're you're at the over and under, I guess. Um, you know, I, I think I think rather than just putting a number of wins out there because you never know the reason for the wins and losses like we talked about Pittsburgh starting out 11 and 0 then all of a sudden they're in enti- time you know they had some significant defensive injuries you know and it, you can never de- you, you can never um, forecast the injuries that might take place during the course of the season and they can cripple a football team particularly uh injuries to the wrong people so I'm not going to say unilaterally no matter what Zach has to win more than eight football games because you don't know What's going to transpire during the course of that season, but with uh, if, if that if he leaves training camp with uh, with the team that is going to be hopefully so much different than last year's team that won four games in terms of what they're going to be able to get and create to see in another draft and develop last year's draft class. I mean, everybody would hope that you're going to win at least eight, maybe more, but you don't know how the season's going to unfold in terms of injury and other things uh, that may be involved.
0: You'll also have one extra game. It would appear it looks like the NFL is on the verge of going to 17 and it would be a home game against the 49ers for Cincinnati, which would be interesting. Next question comes from Ryan. If Panay Sewell and Jamar Chase are both gone at number five, what should the Bengals do? And he goes on to say, I think trading back would be ideal, but if they don't, who should they take?
1: Yeah, that's the first thing that came to my mind, uh, trade back. You know, as well, um, yeah. That's a that, that's a good one. If they're both there at five and they can't they can't find a trade uh, partner, and Chase is gone. And I mean, obviously, everybody's saying it's like, well, if you don't take Pitts, you know, it's it's ridiculous. Pitts is and and Pitts is showing up in everybody's and every, every mock draft I see now. He's not going any lower than seven. You know, I mean, he's he's up there. There's no doubt. And and I do agree that he is he's a uh, he's a talent that people have to he's a matchup problem that's and what you're trying to cause every game in the national football league is matchup problems. and some it, it's hard for a coach to do it by scheme you know i'm going to scheme guys open all the time shanahan has got a reputation and deservedly so for scheming guys open as well as any coach in the national football league but that's hard to do on a snap by snap basis you know, as we've seen, Dan, windows are tight in the NFL. That's the biggest adjustment for college quarterbacks. You know, a guy's a yard open in college, you don't throw that. In the NFL, that's as good as it gets. You got to fire that sucker in there. So, you know, when you have a, a mismatch guy, you know, like Pitts, uh, that's, uh, you know, that's that's something to take into consideration. You know, the Bengals, though, Dan, over the years, they value uh, corners as well. They've taken cornerbacks in the first and second round. You know, may, they may be the one to take a cornerback with that uh, with that fifth pick in the draft if they don't like any of the other receivers, or they may have the cornerback rated higher than they have Pitts or or you know whoever else that's left at number five uh, when they when they do their board when they evaluate their board.
0: I think there's one other thing to keep in mind where Kyle Pitts is concerned. I think people might be underestimating how the Bengals feel or felt about CJ Uzama working with Joe Burrow. He was off to a great start last year, two games, eight catches, 87 yards, and a touchdown. Now, admittedly, that's a small sample size, but that projects to 64 catches for 696 yards in a season. And he tore his Achilles. So, you know, there's definitely a red flag there in terms of coming back. But I really think they expected that combination to produce big things.
1: And I think that I would be... I'd feel very safe in saying I have not studied Pitts that much in terms of blocking. I've seen him. he is he's a contested catch fool. I mean he's a he's a great player. He is a an offensive force. There's no question. But I would stake it stake my reputation that probably at this point C.J. Uzama is a more capable blocker, you know, than than Pitts is as well, and that's that's a factor, you know, when you get to this league. I I do know one thing: Pitts is not Kittle. <laughs> he's not going to block like like uh, George Kittle. I mean, he's not he's not th- that type of guy. I think, and he doesn't block as well as Kelsey. I think you know that's an underrated part of Kelsey's game. I hear all these comparisons to Kelsey. I don't think he blocks like Kelsey. Kelsey's a block. Kelsey, Kelsey a block for you, man. He really will.
0: Next question comes from Jim: Is there an offensive lineman in free agency that the, that the Bengals could sign? That would be better than drafting Sewell, or is Sewell a lock if available at number five?
1: Well, I think I think if you have uh, have a chance to to sign like a, I know Trent Williams is on the on the back nine. He's 32 years old, but the dude is a player. Pro Football Focus rated him the number one. He was the highest rated offensive tackle in football. I mean, if you can get a proven commodity like that. To line up at left tackle. Uh, he he'd be able to play. And, you know he's he's not done. He's on the back nine for sure, but he's not done obviously. And w- whenever you're taking somebody from the college level to the to the national football level, there's already all always a question about that transition. And you know the knock on Sula is Oregon's the finesse offense, and you know it it's, it's not it's not NFL type stuff all the way and. Uh, from top to bottom in terms of what they asked him to do so in my mind if you've got a proven commodity um, and you know or even if you could sign a gun, well it, ha- it would have to be a tackle obviously uh, for them not to draft Sewell in my opinion but it'd be a, a guy like that Daryl Williams had a great year with the Buffalo Bills I mean if I if I were able to sign Daryl Williams I'd, even one of the Williams I'd be I'd be fine with they could sign him I'd be okay with him. And he's, he's a little bit younger too. I believe he's like 28, 29 years old.
0: Yeah. He's 28.
1: Yep. And uh, so, yeah, I mean,
0: Taylor Moten, Taylor Moten's the other one, right?
1: Yeah. Moten, Moten would be the other one. Um, but at my level, my, I guess from the Williams brothers standpoint, my Trent Williams would be level one guy. Daryl Williams would be a upper level two guy. You know, for me, I don't think Daryl Williams would cost as much as Trent Williams. And maybe you could, you know, get a little more bang for your buck with Daryl Williams, because you'd be able to go out and, and get somebody else as well. But if you're trying to solve your biggest need, man, go out and get Trent Williams, man. And if they can get him, somehow you can get that done.
0: All right. Next question comes from Tyler. Here's how, here's what he writes. It goes Jamar Chase, Kyle Pitts, and Panay Sewell in that order. Tell me why I'm wrong. (laughs) <laughs> well if Tyler's going by alphabetical order he's right it would be Chase Pitts Sewell in that order but uh he's obviously not intending it to be alphabetical so so tell Tyler is he wrong Chase Pitts Sewell in that order
1: well you know to, to, to me Tyler um Chase and Pitts are great players but if Joe Burrow doesn't have time to get the ball to Chase and Pitts it's a moot point you know I, that's why you know to me All we've talked about is the number one priority is protecting Joe Burrow. It was tragic how Joe Burrow threw the ball so much last year and took a beating. So the best way to solve that problem uh, on Joe Burrow coming back from an ACL injury is to make sure that he's got people up front that are gonna do a hell of a job protecting them, give them that much more time and ability to operate and let those skilled people operate down the football field I mean uh, a lot of these all these guys were on good college football teams who had good offensive lines and good quarterbacks that could get them the football so they may come into the NFL and it's like it doesn't even look like the same guy well it doesn't because the offensive line's you know getting uh taken advantage of more than the offensive line that he played with in college and the quarterback's not having time to operate I mean that's why we're like we were talking about before uh, Mike Brown, it's the ultimate team game. It, it is. I mean, and and first and foremost, you know, I, you, you do have to have a, a an offensive line that is going to give Joe Burrow time and confidence. I think confidence is going to be a big thing. I think Joe Burrow is a very confident guy, but man, after going through what he went through, the, tra- the traumatic hit in every sense of the word that he took and the uh, traumatic injury that resulted from it, you gotta you gotta help him. You got to make you got to make him not. You got to make him right away feel as comfortable as he did before the injury in that pocket. And the best way to do it is to get big beasts up front.
0: Question from Drew: Are there any under the radar offensive line prospects or free agents that we should keep an eye on?
1: Huh? Under the radar. I'm, I haven't really studied it. Uh, the draft that far. Too, I don't know how far under the radar that you're, uh, that, that you might be talking about, but I, I get, I think the guy that, uh, that, I, that I would maybe the level two guy that may not get as much interest or he might, because he's a level two guy that is versatile, is feeler from Pittsburgh. I think, I think Matt fielder would be somebody that, uh, that Frank Pollock would do a good job with. I really do. I think that, I think that that could, that could potentially be, you know, somebody that, uh, that, that they might, might be able to target a little bit. Um,
0: as a tackle or a guard? Cause he's played both. What do you like him at?
1: Yeah, I, I, I would see him, I, I would try him at both and see where he fit in terms of uh, working with other guys. You know, I, I'm going to get my best five guys out there, no matter what the situation is. And if he, if he ends up being, you know, in that mix at uh, tackle, so be it, if he's in that mix at guard, uh, so be it. I mean, there are a lot of people, uh, you know, that are really good linemen. I, you know, um Jackson Carmen, the kid from uh, from Clemson. I mean, he's not under the radar, but
0: Fairfield mind, High School.
1: Yep, I wouldn't mind having a local boy. I wouldn't mind having that big old man uh, in in the offensive line. I mean, you, you, I, I don't know. I don't know if they're under the radar, is meaning you know the guys that are talking about for top five picks uh, or guys that are later in the draft. I'm not sure, but I haven't really studied. You know, all of those guys that are going to be later in the draft at this point.
0: Question from coach K all day. I don't think this is Mike Krzyzewski who could be some potential replacements in free agency. If Will Jackson leaves, well, let's start with the notion of Will Jackson leaving. Do you think they'll resign him or tag him?
1: That's I, I mean, I, I think, I think they have the money to, to resign Lawson and Will. I really do. And I, I, I I'd make every effort to do that. I think, you know, Carl Lawson obviously is still an ascending player, 25 years old. Um, you know, he's uh, obviously he's got power. He's, he's sudden. He's got that really unusual first step quickness, explosiveness. He doesn't have length. That's the only thing about Carl Lawson to me that, you know, is is the one trait that you'd like to see that, that he doesn't have is, is length. Um, but he's got, he's got everything else. And then obviously, I mean, Will Jackson is a, uh, when you look at the the top 50 players, both of those guys show up in the top 15, you know, on a league wide basis. So if that's what, you know, all the evaluators are, are thinking, um, you know, why not, why not make sure you get your own re-signed, you know, if they're, you got a couple of top 15 free agents out there and uh, you you know what their strengths and weaknesses are and, and you know what you need to uh, work with them to, to improve upon. And uh, so I, I try to, I try to get them both signed. So, that would be, uh, you know, that would be my first answer. Obviously, would be, you know, I, I wouldn't necessarily let him, let him uh, take a walk. I try to try to get him under contract.
0: I think getting back to what we were talking about earlier with Gino and Bobby Hart, if they were to make those moves to create more space, I think they would have room for Lawson, Jackson, yep. and an offensive lineman.
1: Yep, I agree. If they
0: created more space, I agree. Next question comes from Mon. This is an interesting one. There's been speculation that Kevin Zeitler could be available. That would mean he was uh, getting cut by the Giants. Would the Bengals consider bringing him back?
1: I would think that uh, from an organizational standpoint, they would consider it, but it'd be at the right price. Again, um, Kevin Zeitler would be out there because he'd be a cap casualty, but he's still operating at at an efficient level but not not at the dollars that that he's you know he'd be currently making would he come back to Cincinnati uh for a haircut I don't know I mean I I think I think that both all parties parted ways on good terms I don't think there was any bitterness uh I think that Kevin Zeitler felt like he was treated well when he was here with the Cincinnati Bengals being a first round pick out of Wisconsin and uh I think they they liked his work ethic they liked Uh, everything about Kevin Zeitler. They had no problems with him whatsoever. Good locker room guy. Everything was positive about Kevin Zeitler. So I don't think there'd be any hesitation on their end. Um, Now, as far as Kevin Zeitler's concerned, I don't remember Kevin Zeitler voicing. He was not a very, um, you know, somebody that would tell you things were bothering him. He wasn't that type of player, but I think that he was pretty satisfied with Uh, the Bengals from an organizational standpoint. I, to me, that's not a thing that's beyond the realm of possibility whatsoever.
0: I think they were a playoff team every year he was here.
1: Yeah. He was here during the the height of the Marvin Lewis era. There's no doubt. And he was a really good player. I mean, he's just solid player. There's no question. He's made a lot of money. So uh, the decision would be uh, if you're going to play for less money, would you come back to Cincinnati or would, or would you go elsewhere to play for less money? If it's a team that's closer to the playoffs in his estimation, that does need an interior offensive lineman. He might choose that over the Cincinnati Bengals.
0: Can you give me your impression of him breathing after things did not go well on a particular play?
1: Man, he was keen. <laughs> he was a deep breather, man. <laughs>
0: All right. Final ask lap question this week it comes from Dalton who does an incredible job of posting Bengals graphics on Twitter. Here's his question. He would love to hear if you have any stories about Jim LeClaire.
1: Boy, I, Jim LeClaire was a guy I played with for a long time. Uh, we were teammates with the Bengals and then teammates with the generals. Both went to New Jersey at the same time and played a couple of years there. And Jim LeClaire I can tell you a personal story. My rookie year, we're doing interior line drills and it's interior running game. So there's really no secret as to what's happening. I mean, all, all it is is like a nutcracker drill that's expanded to like about to entail, you know, six players, three on offense, three on defense, a couple of guards in the center, two defensive tackles and an inside linebacker. So um <laughs> We're, we're running the drill, and one play called for a double team on the defensive tackle, and I was supposed to rub off to Jim LeClaire to the next level, get up to that next level on the double team. We doubled the defensive tackle. I get a pretty good release, and I'm up, up to the next level, and I start peeking to try to locate Jim Leclerc. and whoosh, I mean, I got hit. He put a forearm on my forehead, man, and I had the yellow flash, and, uh, you know, I mean, the, the birds were circling, and it, <laughs> There was a long distance phone call ringing. Nobody was picking up on the other end. And man, I was, I was literally wrung. And I thought, wow. I mean, Jim Leclerc had an unbelievable forearm. So I come back to the, uh, back to the huddle and Stan Walters, a fellow Syracuse offensive lineman. He kind of peeks his head into me. He goes, you okay? I said, yeah, I think so. He goes, uh, let me give you a tip rookie. Don't be peeking when you're looking for Jim Leclerc. I said, I, I found that out on my own, man, that dude. He could come downhill and he would just, he try to drive your head into your shoulders and, you know, make you no neck. He was something. And another thing I remember doing is going uh, to watch Jim LeClaire wrestle Victor, the wrestling bear that would tour the cities. And Jim LeClaire was a wrestling champ in college. He was, he was a great wrestler. And this dude had broad shoulders, man, like coat hanger shoulders and, you know, tapered down to no waist. And he was, he was just really strong. And Victor, um, had a muzzle and and they declawed him so he had take his teeth out put a muzzle on him and declawed him but he a big old bear well nobody you know pinned Victor and uh, but Jim Leclaire he starts he starts like, going after Victor like he's a, like he's wrestling in a, in a college he shoots a leg and he tries to take Victor down you know and Victor tries to swap he got Victor on his back and the the, the, uh, the guy who handled Victor said it had never happened before. And as soon as he got Victor on his back, he just, the guy like waved it off, ended the match. I mean, in my mind, he pinned Victor, the wrestling bear. Oh, I'm right. like, dude, that's unbelievable. Because Victor was, they had, a, it was at an outdoor um, camping show and they had big swimming pools around the ring. And Victor was backhanded people into the swimming pools, you know. <laughs> and LeClaire goes up there and pins. I couldn't believe it. I'm telling you, Jimmy LeClaire, and, and one other final story on Leclerc. This one's not quite as pretty, but this guy cuts him off when he's driving to practice, um, and just you know almost causes an accident. So you know uh, the guy Leclerc drives up next to the guy, and the guy's got like two other guys with him in the car, and he signals for Leclerc to pull over. So Leclerc and this car pull over, and Leclerc gets out of the car, and the guy, the guy and his two friends get out of the car, and they start getting after Leclerc, and he's innocent and they cut him off, and the one guy takes a swing at him. Jim LeClaire, one punch, three guys, three knockouts, out cold. Police come. They're like trying to, you know, what went down here, and Jim says, look, he said, there's one of me, there's three of them. You know, what do you think happened here? And he was late for practice, and when I asked him what, what happened, he told me, and I'm like, man, those guys, bad decision to challenge Jim LeClaire. I'm telling you, that, that guy, pound for pound, might have been the toughest human being alive.
0: He shot the leg on Victor the Bear. got
1: the leg, man. He's trying to do the takedown. It was, it was he's throwing moves on him. It's it's unbelievable. He's doing the escape move. He he was wrestling his tail off. It was classic.
0: Did he ever share how Victor's breath was?
1: He did. In fact, and <laughs> he said the worst part of it, Victor could get the tongue out of that mask. Victor's tongue was about three feet long. Oof. And Victor was wrapping the tongue around LeClaire's head, and he said, that tongue smelled to the high heavens, boy. It stunk like nothing he'd ever smelled in his life. And, and Victor was, it was all over Jimmy's head. Yeah, he needed a shower after that. man.
0: <laughs> Dalton, I bet you're glad you asked for stories about Jim LeClaire. That was the perfect capper uh, to this week's or this version of uh, Ask Lap. Partner, thank you so much. Awesome stuff, as always. Look forward to doing this again sometime soon.
1: My pleasure, Dan. Feel the same. Have a good one.
0: That's going to do it for this episode of the Bengals Booth Podcast, brought to you by Bud Light Seltzer. Refresh the game. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe, and if you have a minute, give it a rating or share a comment. That helps more Bengals fans find this podcast. I'm Dan Horde, and thank you for listening to the Bengals Booth Podcast.